0: Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of new Rodcast Property News Updates. And today, I've got none other than Adam Lawrence, the sage of Solihull, who you might have been reading his Sunday supplements. It's an amazing newsletter on the Partners in Property blog. If you haven't read it, why not? Every Sunday morning, grab a big old mug of coffee and it's a really, really good description of the current macro events of that week. So definitely go and have a look if you haven't. Adam, welcome back. You've been on the show plenty of time, so I'm not going to give you too much of a introduction other than that how are you finding things and tell us a bit about what's going on
0: rod it's always a pleasure thanks for having me back again um you know it's we were just chatting before we hit record weren't we it's kind of we're not quite seeing the full effects of where we are at today filtered through yet into the market there's lots of things that are of interest but it's like a lot of it often is it's curating the pipeline it's waiting for people to get more realistic even though vendors i've been talking to for a year and saying well you know this could happen with the market and that could happen and it's all been happening um but they're still not quite adjusting their expectations So motivation slash debt pressure has got further to go i think to be honest but i'm keeping a brave face on it and uh, smiling through because as you know i fixed a lot of debt last year i've still got one big loan we're sweating on hopefully to get over the line we've been promised 800 times they're going to honour the rate. So let's hope they don't change their mind this week or next week, Rod, basically. Absolutely.
1: So shall we start with the news? When was it now? Two weeks ago, I think it was, or or maybe beginning of last week, which was the inflation print for May that came out. What we saw there was inflation, I think it was 8.7%, but the concern was that core inflation was rising. So core inflation takes out the volatile aspects like energy and food pricing. So what can we take from that? I mean, my concern was, right, we've got higher core inflation and we need kind of the markets to see that the Bank of England is on top of this, which it doesn't seem like they have been. And that's what we really wanted to see to bring down those gilt yields. And so run us through if you think that inflation is right. And also the other question that lots of people keep saying is about, well, if this is, a demand, if this is supply-induced inflation rather than demand-led, what can the Bank of England base rate actually do to it? Now, I'd like to kind of go into a bit of detail on that one, is it? Is that the case, or are those people maybe a bit misinformed?
0: I think I've got loads to say about that, and there's going to be, I'll get my soapbox out of the ready, Roger, absolutely, but, you know, in terms of CPI, what do we know? Well, we know that we've hit our peak, which was 11.1 last October. We know it's trending downwards, but slowly. We know that every month it seems to exceed expectations. So it's really doing what I've been saying for a long time in that inflation, when it gets entrenched, and that will be important as we go on in this conversation, is stubborn ultimately, especially when the economy is just about managing to sort of bumble along the surface at basically sort of 0% growth, which is basically where we are, right? So CPI didn't go up, but it was expected to go down a bit more than it did. CPI will heal itself, especially in July when energy prices come back down again, apart from anything else. There's a few guarantees of what we call base effects that are dropping off and a few things are going in the right direction. Anecdotally, it looks like we're over the hill of the food price inflation as well because we're not at these crazy sort of 19% levels we were at, but we're still down in the 17s and 18s. But it does seem anecdotally from looking in in the shops and listening to the radio, it does seem like quite a few food prices are coming in the right direction.
1: So what are some of those points of inflation that have come down to reduce it from that high of 11.1, I think it was?
0: So yes, one of the things they did on the back of it, apart from the energy price cap, because of course if the price cap hadn't been there, we would have been looking at more like 13 or something like that. The problem that we have with the old price cap, which isn't very old at all, they only introduced that system in 2019, and it doesn't work very well, which is why they've had to intervene already, obviously. But the old price cap was twice a year because somebody looked at, well, energy prices aren't that volatile before what happened in 22 happened. So now it happens four times a year, which is why we've got an adjustment in July and we've got an adjustment downwards. And there was legitimate reasoning behind that, that when prices started to fall, we wouldn't have to wait six months as consumers to be gouged by the energy companies for their extra few quid for their private jets, and nice cars and whatever else. Right. So So I know, yeah, I know. Obviously the levy has not gone away, but uh, sorry, the levy, the the price cap, but support has been reduced and it's been nearly withdrawn for all commercial businesses. Um, But the price has gone down more than expected. So the November futures looked really, really, really miserable for gas and electricity. And things have calmed down a bit more than expected. And the market in liquid, liquefied natural gas really is what's made a big difference There was chat that maybe it could be five years before Germany could get over their dependency on Russia, whereas in reality, both the Middle East and the USA, or North America in general, stepped up in a big way to provide these ships full of LNG, and particularly Germany, but other European countries have done their bit in terms of building the infrastructure they needed, not as quickly as China would build a hospital but they've righted the market a lot more quickly than we thought, which is why the futures have come back down in the way they have. So I that's think, the primary... And, American,
1: and the price of American LNG is still insanely low compared to all other kind of natural gas around the world as well. So that seems to kind of... That just doesn't seem to tally up, really, because I can't remember what it is, but it's like I don't know, it's about three times less it's, than where it is around the world. It's
0: much more pronounced that, so it's about yeah. 220 compared to about 13 in Europe. So you're looking at a multiplier of nearly six, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think your bank, I mean, obviously we're not energy traders. I just think in terms of a a medium term play, that market is going to start to equalise because Mm. once that market's created, it's a big market, you know, they need an extra, I think they're talking about an extra 5 billion cubic feet that they're looking to export. That's not a small amount, you know, and there will be, there's an element of arbitrage that strikes me as, almost the market's pretending it's not happening. I don't know if they're thinking that, you know, the American president will ban exports of LNG or it's just not really the way the state tends to work, is it really? So I totally agree with you. So that's the big one. Of course, it's not just the price that we're paying to our electricity provider or whatever. It's the second order consequences of goods and food, particularly moving through the economy when it comes to how much their prices go up. Because of course, we've got to, look at what it costs to produce tomatoes or whatever other commodity there's been various price differentials in, but it's that price of delivery and actually getting into your hands at the supermarket um, or at grocers or whatever. So those effects are all on their way down and that's been a big help. What's also been on the way down in a big way is is the, the, the goods side of things. So that hit a peak in about June, July of 22, right? And it's well over that hill and it's coming back accordingly. So you listen to this thinking, well, With this is what the Bank of England was saying, you know, it's, it's all transitory and blah, blah, blah. But the problem is, once it got entrenched, it got into the services sector. And, of course, that's such a big part of our economy, 75% of our economy, 47% of the components of CPI are services-driven, right? And service inflation is at an all-time high at the moment or at a high for the last, ever since they've, they've measured it, I think, at the ONS at 7.8% annualised, and what that means is, apart from anything else, workers can demand more money, and companies are needing to put prices up in order to pay for the increased price of services that they're paying. So this is the spiral part of the equation, and the services does need to come down a bit and calm down. Now, that will happen a little bit organically because we're seeing vacancies going in the right direction as far as inflation is concerned, i.e. Mean, they're coming down month on month A month, they're coming down at a reasonable pace, back towards a more normal market. And of course, don't forget, we are, as a country, importing so many people at the moment, we are injecting people into the labour force, which is what you need to do when you've got a labour force shortage, apart from anything else. So the, the natural factors there over the next six months are going to take effect, but they're a bit slow, as you're seeing by the death by a thousand cuts drop in CPI but we really need services over the hill and be convinced that services is coming down to the on
1: Is that kind of increase in services because the UK kind of economy is so reliant on services is that why the UK is much higher than the rest of the world is does Brexit come into it I mean with food inflation we've talked about kind of the energy costs that go into food inflation those coming down we've talked about well, we haven't talked about weather and climate was a big issue over the last 12 months as well. Obviously, what's happening in Ukraine with fertiliser and wheat, things like corn going into kind of not just corn prices and, and those sort of prices, but also into animal prices because they're a bigger mm-hmm. component of feed and things like that as well. All these kind of things help to, well, change the price or manipulate the price of those things. So what is it about services and the uk that makes it different to other western economies that have really gone through the same thing with covid and and what have you that is a fabulous
0: whistle stop tour there rod of uh,
1: all the factors
0: that are on it just shows you why it's, it's quite so difficult to predict this stuff well because there are all of these factors so i think we needed probably a little bit of historical context to try and address some of your main points in there firstly the uk has tended to run a little bit hotter than the us as in inflation has tended to be higher over time it's also run hotter than places like japan which won't surprise anybody but also the rest of europe so the rest of europe certainly since the eurozone has been what it was and of course that's because they're generally led by germany and germany provides a a significant makes up a significant proportion of that eurozone and has historically been very very keen to keep inflation very very tightly under control so we do run a bit hotter Brexit, well, the big impacts really were in the currency fluctuations, but we, we kind of dealt with that in 2016. Now, we did deal with it a bit again because when Trust was in charge, there was so little confidence in her ability that you'll remember the, the pound against the dollar touched 104 in some Asian overnight trading. And people were saying we were going to go below parity, right? Now, that was temporary and that's fixed itself to an extent. We're about 125 at the moment. And also the dollar is much, the dollar was getting very, very strong coming to the end of 22. It's eased quite a lot against the pound and global currencies in general, which helps, which helps. And we're we're more normalized against the euro because the international money markets weren't convinced in the power of either sterling or the euro. So Brexit inflation, not so much. There are obviously inefficiencies, but Brexit is much more likely to, to show itself in the macro figures in terms of GDP growth, right? Because when you restrict trade, you directly impact your GDP. So I I would say, if I was really, really back of the fag packet, Brexit's probably responsible at the moment for about half a percent a year of lack of GDP growth, right? Whereas the pandemic is more likely responsible for about 1% or more, which basically is a big problem because we go from one5 to 2%, to zero to zero point five percent, which is near Japan.
1: Is that measure relevant though? Because any time we talk about GDP, I always kind of think, well, shouldn't we be talking about GDP per capita? Because if we're in an environment that you've just said we've got more people coming into the into the market, GDP going up may actually be in I don't know real terms or going down because it's spread over more people. So would GDP I- per capita be more important? Unless I guess you're talking about how it deals with nominal debt. I don't know. Like,
0: Let's remember comparison is the thief of joy, right, before <laughs> we start this conversation. But you are absolutely right that GDP per capita would be a better measure. You can also use things like GDP per capita um, adjusted to PPP, purchasing power parity, now, China now, by purchasing power parity, is the biggest economy in the world, and it has been for several years. Now, obviously, the Americans are against that measure because they don't want to concede that position. But when you think about crude aggregate metrics, like we've talked about many times before, you, sure, you, people want their standard of living to improve, don't they? That's the bottom line. And that's when you can, instead of comparing ourselves to the US or Japan or China or wherever, we should compare ourselves to us of ten years ago, twenty years well, ago.
1: Am I gonna be better off tomorrow than I am today? Is kind
0: of what it is, it is isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, in real terms, spoiler alert, mate, no, you're not, are you? Because that's exactly that's exactly what inflation does to all even sure. though we're in quite a strong position to weather this inflation compared to the average person, it's still not necessarily favouring us at the moment.
1: Sure. Well it just means you've got to work harder in order to be better off tomorrow than you had today, which is all about yeah. kind of, yeah, productivity, isn't it? And that's why we go right. around. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, great. So I think there's, you know, there are lots of things going on. We would expect to be a little bit higher than a lot of the other nations. Um, but the services side of things is what... It's when, you know, you talked about core earlier. We didn't really dwell on core very much. That's the the bit that the... What, what the central bank... When, when the forecasters get it wrong, right... What do the bond markets get itchy about, right? Number one, why is it so hard to forecast? Number two, why is it above? Why are we missing to the upside, right? Number three, core inflation is at 7.1 and rising. That's the highest print we've had for many years. And I've done some of the numbers, I think, for next month. And I'm afraid core is going to come back in about 7.3, 7.4. So anybody who's not predicting that, I don't think he's looking at what happened in in June 2022. and and working out where we are from there. So we're not over the core inflation hill yet, and that will be another blow to the gilt and swap markets next month. So we're going into it. And the the story that you really draw from the data is, as has been said all along, inflation scoops up in these situations, regardless of the reason for it. So, you know, it's supply-driven. A, that argument, I was debunking that argument two years ago, that it happened, and that's the cause. It's like saying... What started the fire? Do you want to concentrate on that? Do you want to concentrate on how to put it out? You want to put the fire out. It is a fire because it swallows oxygen and it swallows wealth. And it absolutely makes people worse off. And that's, you know, the more assets you've got, especially the lower your risk appetite, the more it affects you. It can be really, it's the most damaging, single most damaging thing that there is um, to a, a family's wealth portfolio in reality, if we take the people out of the equation. So you know, it might have
1: started with a a fire at Pudding Lane, but we need to work it how to extinguish it, right, before it can go to the whole of London. So are you then saying that, right, yeah, it was supply-driven at first, but now with things like the April wage increases that we've seen both private and public sectors, with everything else that's gone into it, it's now actually there's a fair chunk of demand built into the whole equation, and actually if we can stamp out the demand, then that's going to help bring down that core which really is the ultimate goal, because well, we're not into, we can't really control the food and energy, really, can we?
0: Exactly right. We're so dependent as a country on imports, of not necessarily physical things, but also things like you can't see, like electricity or whatever. So that's where we are. That's where the UK is. So it has to take that stuff on the chin, and it has to worry about what it can control, mm-hmm. which is absolutely on the demand side, which is why some of the moves that are, or more conspicuously aren't being taken, are so very weak. But our central banking has not looked this anemic for well, since the Bank of England went independent, I'm afraid, but that's that's maybe an aside, you know?
1: So where people say I don't know, it's a it's a blunt tool to use kind of base rate, I mean, well, what else is there that they could do? I mean, obviously this you've got quantitative easing and quantitative tightening to some level as well. We saw what happened after the trust debacle with pension funds and things like that. So there's other implications afoot. Looks like those things have been sorted out. I mean, what other tools could there be in an economy like ours that could be used other than base rate?
0: Well, that is a wonderful question. And I roll my eyes at the blunt tool statement because you remember Ben Bernanke famously said central bank is 98% talk and 2% action. And the problem is at the moment, we've flipped that on its head and we're not making people, the people that we need to, the people who influence the global money markets, we're not making them comfortable that we're doing a good job. There's an element of the current guilt swap markets that's a vote of no confidence in Andrew Bailey. And you can absolutely understand why. If he was sat today, 40 to 50 basis points would come off the yields. I genuinely think that's how negatively he's, he's thought about at the moment. So they could do their job. and commu- He could take a communications lesson from Mark Carney And if it's not Bailey, because you can't put me in front of people who doesn't know what he's talking about, use the people on the MPC who do know what they're talking about, like Hugh Bill, he speaks well, Ben Broadbent. Get those people out there with a clear message. And, you know, what happened on the the day after the Brexit referendum? The city was in utter turmoil. It was complete panic until Mark Carney stepped forward, dropped the interest rate, and suddenly there was a calm, well, do you know what, we're probably going to be okay. Right, that was genuinely the emotion there was on that morning. We've got the complete opposite of that at the moment. But in terms of, so that's the, because remember inflation is about expectations. People yeah. will ask for it because they think there's going to be more of it and it affects how they spend and their decisions, right? But there's one practical thing we can do, right? Before you come back on that one, a much more practical thing would be to issue some longer duration debt that would be tied to the pandemic and say, look, it's a one in a hundred year event. We need a lot of time, of time to get out it. 100-year bond, absolutely. And now the shape of the yield curve has kind of righted itself on the back end. The 30s and 40s and 50s are now looking a bit cheaper again. The 100s should continue that curve downwards. You could probably see some 100s. What, what,
1: what price would you expect that 100-year bond to be at?
0: About 2.75 on yield, yield-wise, okay. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, because I, I think you've... But I think you could bring, if you were really smart, you know, the Treasury, the the DMO could, the Debt Management Office could actually create a product that maybe had some green elements wrapped into it. And also, they could, you know, the government, at the end of the day, look at what the American government did to the banks, which caused so much of the problems with things like Silicon Valley Bank. You could encourage institutions to buy this stuff. You could say it forms part of their ESG um policies and everyone wants some of this green bond to rebuild the uk that might save you 25 basis points a year for 100 years you know there's ways and means to manipulate things without legislating but of course if you want to get really tough the conversation can be around legislation look at the there are countries around the world that issued 100 year bonds around the back of the pandemic and when they issued them in 2021 they issued them at zero percent coupons Mm. right and they still got buyers so that would be the big one for me But they could do a number of things. They could start looking at restricting or... I mean, the the way the pricing is going, it's restricted anyway. But two-year mortgages aren't helpful. We need to educate people around expanding the mortgage cycle. We need more portable products. Perhaps we need to legislate that things are portable rather than make it an option or not. You say that,
1: but I think this is a timing thing. So we had these 30-year products come to market. No-one bought them. No-one wanted them. But at the same time, that we were... Coming out of the pandemic, and it was very low interest rate. So people would think, well, why am I going to do a 3.5% interest rate for 30 odd years when I can do a five year for under three? But now, if you brought that out, people might be a little bit more kind of, because they've seen, they'd forgotten about, I don't know, the last 15 years has been very, very low interest rate environment. And they'd forgot what happened before that. Now they might I think, have I think you, their there's,
0: there's probably two things I'd say on that. I don't directly disagree with you. I think, first of all, the problem is there were products, but there wasn't a margin. So the margins were too high. Right. The margins were too high. They didn't represent good value. They were just green. The, the margins they were expecting were absolutely gigantic. So that didn't help. And two, it does make me, I, I feel the same way about the skips at 100% mortgage product, which had it been brought out in February 2021, you'd have seen an absolute glut of people saying, whoa, I can suddenly afford a mortgage. Right. I don't need to rent anymore. But of course, it was brought out once the, Stable doors sources and bolting springs to mind, but yes there is a but I think there needs to be you know you don't you put warnings on cigarette packets right because people need to, to understand the and some people still smoke and I'm glad we live in a country where people can make a free choice, right but some things are better for the industry and some things are better for the consumer mm. and longer terms are better in general, depending on your age um, and look. Mate, the rest of the world leads the way with this, right? They use 30-year products. We're the funny ones here. We're the outliers, and we need to... If it was me, I'd be going and taking best practice from a shore, not from Japan, but from other westernised nations that seem to have a more stable market at the moment than we do.
1: And I guess people would say, well, hold on, what about transactions? Because then, in a the down market, people just won't transact. But, look, we're in an ageing population. People, unfortunately, are dying, divorcing, are being forced to sell, and... Yes, it would be great if we were building enough homes for the first-time buyer market to buy there. That's not going to happen in, I imagine, our lifetime. Um, I'm so, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And um, remember,
0: Rob, transactions are trending downwards over the last yeah. twenty years. Transactions have trended downwards. So that's that's where we, for all those reasons that
1: you just said. And so we have talked about the inflation. Okay, we've talked about services making up a big part of that as the UK. We've talked about the difference between demand and supply, how it started as supply, now demand's fed through. And then we saw the Bank of England raise rates by half a percentage point. So what, I mean, for me, I thought, okay, I was expecting at 0.25%. I was hoping for half a percent. And I thought the gilt yields would come down as they did last time, the Bank of England surprised to the upside. When they did that last time, they rocketed down, and which obviously translates into swap rates, which translates to fixed rate mortgage products. Haven't seen that yet. I mean, it's been, I don't know, three days. And yeah, they, the five-year gilt has come down, I don't know, from 4.8 to about 4.6, but not meaningfully. Is that really a sign that actually, like you said at the beginning, the market has just totally lost confidence or was actually the market expecting that to be in and had already priced it in and actually what we really needed was a 0.75%. What, or I don't it?
0: think it was, I don't think so much the latter because the, the betting market's very much, if you want to stake big money on this stuff, it's very possible to do so. And 10 days before the meeting, there were 80% probability, 25 bits, 20% half uh, 50 bits. Um, now, that did change as we ramped up towards the meeting because of the inflation release, as you, as you said earlier on, well, like 40%, so didn't it? it made it more 50. There was, there was points of 50-50. Yeah. Right. But I think it does really hinge on that that lack of communication and lack of leadership side of things, because I haven't seen the the statements come out to give anybody any confidence. And if I'm not seeing it, I'm looking for this stuff. <laughs> well, nobody's seen it in the national press. So... I think the, that I think it does the confidence level in Bailey will be really at uh, its complete low at the sure. moment.
1: Sure. So what we're saying really is go back to that Mark Carney kind of tactic of forward guidance. Now, the, the people that didn't like Mark Carney will say well he was never right about anything he said. Well, that's because he said things to guide you to give you kind of This expectation, which meant everyone behaved in a certain way, which meant they didn't need to do these things. And I I think that's what you're saying here, isn't it? That's the idea of forward guidance. It's painting that picture of what can happen really quite distinctly so that people change their behaviour, which means actually they don't need to use... I don't know, the hammer or whatever we're going to call it. That's
0: exactly right. And one of great example of forward guidance in terms of, you said, what could the Bank of England do? One other thing that they could do, although this might be slightly outside of their remit, but they could put some rhetoric out there about encouraging people to save their money at this time because difficult times are coming. Because if you save, you don't consume. And if you don't consume, that brings inflation down, right? Mm So at a group level, that's a message that should be being sent out at the moment. And I'd like to think that's the sort of thing that Carney might be getting at. Obviously, business wouldn't like it very much, right? Because you're telling people not to buy stuff. But do you know what? Tough luck, because look at the, re- the results over the last 12, 18 months. You know, there's a lot of chatter around all, you know, margins are squeezed and all the rest of it. But if you look at the FTSE, that's not playing out. You know, they're doing they're, the banks have their best quarter for some time in Q1 2023, for example. Is that their skill and management? No, it's not. No, it's the fact the interest rate is going up and they're doing what they do, same as the petrol pump. It's very quick to put it up, very, very slow to put it down. It works in reverse with the savings balances, doesn't it? And they're just enjoying some nice margin at the moment.
1: And I mean, there are starting to become some decent savings products. I mean, Lloyd's had one that was over 6%. I mean, it was for like the Lloyd's Club members and things, but I mean, 6% on a savings account. Bloody good, yeah. You might say, well. yeah, but inflation's at eight point seven. Yeah, but I mean, it's better than zero. It's better than zero. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's
0: gonna. It also comes down to tax positions, doesn't it? Because it's so complex. And so this is mm-hmm. why guilt can be useful to people when they've got yeah. very low coupons. But yeah, yeah, sure, sure.
1: Exactly. Okay. Fantastic. Hello, everyone. I'm Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to talk to you quickly about a sponsor of ours called Signature Property Finance. They are a bridging loan provider based in Solihull, Birmingham. The company also has regional offices in Cardiff and Edinburgh, which enable them to serve clients across the whole of England, Wales and Scotland. They were established in 2012 and Signature have two primary funding lines, private equity and a traditional debt facility via a high street bank. So what is it they fund and how can they help you? Well, Signature will lend against both residential and commercial property on a standard bridge with a maximum loan to value of 70% and 60% respectively for a term of between 6 and 18 months. They offer both a light and heavy refurbishment product, again for a term of up to 18 months. Light refurbishment amounts to anything non-structural in nature, whereas anything involving structural changes requires a heavy refurbishment product they will lend up to 75% of the lower of the purchase price or day one open market value. Signature also lend development finance up to a maximum loan of 5 million and for up to 15 units. The loan terms are up to 24 months and cover residential or mixed use developments and they will lend up to the lower of 65% of the GDV or 80% of total costs. So why would you use them? Well, in in the words of CEO Tony Gilbertson, Signature, do what they say they're going to do. Provided the information given by the customer and or the broker on day one is accurate, the terms issued on day one will be the same terms that the customer draws down on. So if you've got any property finance requirements, please contact Tony Gilbertson at Tony, T-O-N-Y at signaturepropertyfinance.co.uk and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And for a limited time only, they are doing a special offer for all RODcast listeners. If you look to get finance with them and mention the RODcast, you will get free legals for a limited time only. Yes, that's right. That's free legals for a limited time only. Just mention the RODcast. They really are a fantastic company that do what they say they're going to do and act quickly. Back to the show. Back to property, how does this affect property? Because obviously we talked about how it affect the gilt markets and swap markets, and we're seeing these mortgage products now, even with your fees at kind of six and a half percent with the fee built in, like application fee, amortized over that fixed rate period. What does that mean? What should property investors be doing? Should everyone be sitting on their hands? If you've got cash, should you be paying down expensive debt or putting, or maybe buying property with no debt? What's the story here? Give us your ideas.
0: Yeah, there's some really good good bits in there. So I guess it's going to depend about where you are in terms of your portfolio, your age, your risk appetite, and all the rest of it. It does make sense to pay down some debt if you're paying base plus four or base plus five at the moment and sit and wait. You may have to sit and wait six, 12, even 18 months to get a really good discount on where the rates are. But remember, as soon as we're over the hill, the swaps market and the gilt market will regain confidence and they will readjust back down. So it could be quite quick for mortgage rates to come back down. It's just base that will continue to lag behind this whole cycle, mm-hmm. right? So paying down is an option. Rather than sitting on cash waiting for blood on the streets, This is you've kind of touched on there why, one of the reasons why I don't think there's necessarily going to be too much blood on the streets because there's too much cash out there apart from anything else. So, you know, it's anecdotal, total, but a client of mine um, went to try and buy a house the other day. That's nice house in the Cotswolds, but, uh, you know, price tag not far off a million quid. Um, and there were 40 viewings, several offers, and to secure it, he's had to go something like 20% above the asking price or 15% above the asking price. Now, that doesn't sound like a June 2023 market, but all of those people that were competing in that process, they're not using leverage. Yeah. They're using cash, right? They're using cash. I mean, he's downsizing into that property. So he's got his own cash to put into it. And he's had a nice bump of capital growth in the property he's in while he um, goes for look for his next place. So I think, you know, you're quite right in what you say, it's better off that certainly 6% than it is a 0% for sure. Remember, if you pay properties off, you can always re-gear them. If you need to do it in a hurry, you just go to a bridging level, right? It's not like, oh, I've got to wait four months for a mortgage at the moment. Yes, hello, we all feel that pain. Some of us have been waiting longer, as you well know what we're doing at the moment. But ultimately, you can get the money out of them very quickly, especially if you've got good relationships with fast funders. So paid off rather than sitting in the bank is a, a great tactic at the moment if you've got any things that are hanging on variable then you move forward to right so what deals do we do that stack up at the moment and i think you've either got to go really yield aggressively yield chasing to try and find stuff that stacks. so you've probably got to go out of area to do that and you've got to be very cautious of your operational
1: costs as we're both very well aware and talk about all the time um, I, think, I think just on that when you say yield, I think we've got to clarify that that means net yield. So just because yeah, well, I I'd be say net, let,
0: let's yeah. say net of op costs because I think yeah. we've got to compare the net of op costs yield to the mortgage rate.
1: Sure, because something is that kind of traps people fall into here are things like maintenance costs. If the building's going to need constant maintenance over the next five years because it's falling apart or it needs a big old chunk of capital put into that, that's got to be factored into as well. So if your yeah. yield is, say, 7%, but it needs a new roof and the property is only worth 50 grand and the roof will cost you 20 wow. grand, I mean, yeah, you, you suddenly your yield drops pretty heavily down to about 4%. So yeah. things like that are a big factor. And there's certainly traps that we see people fall into a lot. So it's looking at that net yield over a time period that is just so vital. and People tend to focus in on the first 12 months and actually that's not what you're buying property for. No, for They're sure, they don't buy it for 12 months, they buy it for a longer period. So, annualize that that yield down.
0: And that's why not to dump it quickly as well because there are frictional costs and it is a long game, right? But uh, in terms of, as I said, it depends on age, risk, appetite, hunger, effort, all the rest of it. But if you are looking at the moment, there's never been such a good time to try and take control of some assets um, in order to, to layer on an operational strategy like an HMO or a service accommodation. If your numbers work, you know rent. I never thought there'd be a day where I recommend rent to rent, um, but it's not a bad idea. And you know that can be done in the commercial space as well. Leasing property, layering on an operational model that adds value. There's going to be effort and, and all the rest of it involved. But if the asset has got a fairly rocky two or three years ahead of it in terms of its capital value, then a rent to rent with a nice option might be a very good exit. Might be a very good proposition for you in terms of cash being king at the moment. But you do need to know your numbers and make sure your margins are worth the effort and the risk that you're going to take in case the legislation changes in SA or there'll always be things in your SWOT analysis. If you do a SWOT analysis and you haven't got any threats in there, go and redo it unless it says, you know, don't go outside in the morning or whatever and sit and bathe in a pile of cash or something. It's just not, not viable. So I think there's still things that can be done. And I think vendor financing, Rod, is a big one at the moment because... Vendors are still looking to tie stuff up or come to, you know, and it might be, we've talked before about, you know, management agreements or development agreements to help people with assets to deliver them to their full potential. It might be a good time to be doing some stuff like that. And some people will listen to that and think, well, you know, you're exchanging time for money there, but the worst mindset you can have is a fixed mindset, right? This is a time to be flexible, to make the most, to continue, It's a time to work harder than you've worked and to continue developing yourself. And there's nothing wrong with a few quid for consulting on a job
1: that you know how to do that nobody else does, right? You're exchanging time for money in any type of direct property investment. So, I mean, that whole kind of argument, I'm ready and waiting to kind of (laughs) get in the red corner on that one. It's different if you're investing passively through, I don't know, some REITs and property funds. But even still, you want to keep an eye on it. We invested in a in a REIT not long ago where I thought, guys, bloody massive kind of discount on the net asset value. It's trading works, good yielding, prospects look good. And I mean, that share price has tumbled down. And I, But I, I don't think it's justified. And I'm kind of putting a bit more in Sorry, at the moment, because I, th- I just think the cost don't justify the... Well, I, I think I completely agree
0: with you. I'm fairly sure I know the re- that you're talking about. And I think all it is, is this is what happens. The market gets caught up in the interest rate debacle. Yeah. And then everything goes down without everybody going. Well, actually, that one maybe is quite a bit stronger and has got a better debt position and blah yeah. blah
1: blah. I mean the one we're talking about. I looked at it and it has four and a half years of fixed debt across the board, and the loans value is about thirty percent. So, and, and, this and, is it. and they're, they're going to benefit like...
0: from they're going to benefit from the inflation that's going to be entrenched in the market. The rent increase is going to be solid their sector is doing very well. I mean, this is exactly why you do the work and the macro is useful, but if you don't get into the detail, you're just going kind to... Of broad brush statements are not always useful. And That's this goes
1: back to kind of... I posted on LinkedIn the other day about kind of having... How does inflation erode your debt away? Well, it mm. does when you've got negative real interest rates. And what I'm talking about is the interest rate on your mortgage, so not necessarily base rates. So... If inflation is below that interest rate, then you've got a positive interest rate. And actually, it's not eroding your debt away at all. So I think for the last 15 years, um, real interest rates have been negative. But actually, for the 20 years before that, or 30 years before that, the general kind of consensus was they were positive. So I think if we're going back to that, it's important for people to realize actually when that happens you're not (laughs) inflating the debt away so you need to kind of start thinking about other options and things like that and it's totally a good thing
0: gearing at the moment is dangerous it's fraught with traps negative gearing all those sorts of things so you know your capital stats need to be solid and this is where your vendor financing or exchange with delayed or the skillful use of time is what it really boils down to so understand the value of time and how to execute with time
1: yeah absolutely time money value is is the key really i'm going to give a quick plug here for the retreat that we do in october which is a property business retreat so if you're an SME, property business, and you're looking for something to kind of give you a bit of a kick up the backside, really. It's a great seven-day program that we do up in the northwest of England. Stay at a hotel for those eight days, actually, seven nights. We do a lot of workshops that are specific to each individual's business, but one of them is about shares and utilizing share classes and the capital (laughs) stats. To really bring equity into the business, and which I think is just such an important skill to understand right now. It's one, understanding really how the capital stack all works. And then two, is how to structure equity in, because in volatile times, you might want to consider giving away some potential upside. For the potential risk rather than leveraging more. So, yeah, just a plug there. If anyone wants any info on that, please do get in touch. I'll leave my email in the show notes. Fantastic. Um, Looking forward to it. Best, best, best week of the year. Simple it as is, that. It is good fun. Knackering, but good fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what about this whole thing with Jeremy Hunt meeting banks to try and offer release and they've said, right, we're going to be giving kind of six months <coughs> interest only for, for your mortgage, where you can stop capital repayments and it won't affect your credit file and things like that. Surely doesn't this kind of fly in the face of what the Bank of England are trying to do because it opens it up? Or is it that actually it's only going to affect a small amount of people? And if it's only going to affect a small amount of people, then why does the Bank of England care about it anyway? Well, <laughs> I think it's more that the, the government are putting
0: pressure on those 1.3 million whose deals are dropping off over the next 12 months sure. and they want they want to be able to do something about it politically I thought it was clever and um, I agree with everything you say look at the end of the day you what you're talking about effectively is credit expansion in a time when they're trying to tighten credit by putting the interest rate up but it is it's a good thing that it is a small number of people and that's why it's politically clever Although, I don't know how I feel about it if I was a tenant, because are you giving that to my landlord so that he or she doesn't need to put the price of my rent up? Well, no, you're not. So that's not really very helpful. It's not very levelling up-esque, let's say. But I think you made the point. You're very right. Um, It's the commercial businesses and the commercial loans and the commercial liquidations, and then the jobs that fall through those that will ultimately define whether we go into a recessionary environment even if regardless of where GDP is, because forget the technical recession bit. We're we're effectively in recession anyway. It's how long does this sludge last for stagflation ultimately before we actually can break away from it. So it's more talk than it is real, genuine action because the numbers involved are not that significant. And I'm glad they haven't gone down the handouts route and things like that, which I, I don't think they're in too much danger of doing. But that would have been the worst thing to do. So I'm glad they've shown a bit of fortitude on that. Is it really going to sort things out for people? Well, it just kicks the can down the road, doesn't it? And that's what we do in these
1: situations. I mean, yeah, just on that on that business front, the idea is that in, interest rates don't just affect mortgage holders, they affect businesses because most businesses or most big employers have a level of debt. And so they might suddenly start to think, hmm, but what's more important here?" Employing more people or profit margin. Actually, sometimes it's good to scale back our employment so that our profit margin stays relatively stable. And then the idea is that people won't be so kind of um, comfortable in their jobs to ask for more pay rises and things like that because unemployment being so low is not a great thing for inflation and productivity because the only way to get new staff is to pay them more to entice them over. So although the Bank of England are very kind of Saying we don't want a recession, it's hard to kind of trust that because what they're really saying is, yeah, let's have a few casualties here, which are going to hurt every, which are going to hurt those people pretty hard, those individuals, but for the greater good of everyone else. And it's not nice if you're going to be one of those individuals that's affected by that, because look, let's face it. Look at the proportion of people with a mortgage shoot who will be affected really negatively, and it's about. Prioritizing what's more important, really, inflation is much more of a problem to far more people than job losses will be to those few. It's, it's an unfortunate situation, but it seems to be the reality yeah. that we're in.
0: Absolutely correct. Again, absolutely nailed it.
1: Right. I think we're about up for time, but is there anything else you wanted to say on the whole kind of inflation, interest rates, property market at the moment? What are the traps out there that you think people need to be careful of right now?
0: Well, I think there is a, a tendency of people to look. There's a lot of discussions that go on that are centered around the pay rate. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're thinking that, and this is the thing that's worried me the most, Rob, and I've tried quite hard. Now, the the bond the bond market and the swap market's kind of done my job for me, right? But people have been saying to me, "Oh, well, I think I'll just take a two year and then I'll sort it out then." And I've been encouraging them not to as much as I can without giving advice because obviously I am not a financial advisor and I'm a mortgage broker, right? But when they've been coming up with these, I was mean, so like, well, why if prices do wobble a bit? Are oh, you taking one of these products with a 7% fee or a 5% fee? Well, that fee, even if it's always added to the loan, well, great, well, what are you going to do in two years' time? You know, you're going to, not only do you need your 75% loans of value, you now need 80 or 82. You think property's definitely going up 7% in the next two years? Well, I'll have a little 50 fee with you. That doesn't happen, right? I, don't, I think that's a bit too bullish. So... It is isn't the time to sort of buy yourself a little bit of time. And I mean, for me, I'd love to see two years ironed out of the whole of the market. I don't think it's very sensible at all. And this period of volatility proves that. And in fact, I've been thinking, blimey, why did I only do a five-year on my own home? for example? Why didn't I do like a ten-year, you know? Because I'm the one talking about it so much. Um, you're punctured into it. And also it comes back to that point we made around the 50-year. What sort of market is there? Because there's only three offerings at 10-year. It's not a market, and the margins are too high. And internally, I think, well, that's not a fair price. I want to pay a fair price for a fair service. So that's the biggest thing I'd like people to take away. Buying yourself two years at the moment, especially if it's these products with these massive fees on, how are you going to pay it back in two years' time? There is nothing wrong with selling off a bit and paying down some gearing and then bouncing again, if that's what you need to do, paying down some debt as we said because you've got money in the bank and regearing in three months six months nine months you can just watch the rates once a month, once a week once a month once an hour if you like me and rod you know just 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 keep an eye just keep an eye out there there's no there's no panic stations and just remember one thing rents are rocketing forward and as long as there's affordability which to me bad news in the tenants but to me in a lot of the country it still looks like there's plenty of affordability with the wages going the way that they're going then ultimately rent rises over the next five years of where some good returns are going to come from
1: and now are you concerned on that front with affordability going up because if affordability is always there that means inflation is always there so is that then putting rates up and that bringing prices down because although you might be cash flowing okay well, when you come to refinance, are you still at seventy-five percent loan to value, or are, have you moved up to eighty or eighty-five percent? And are there going to be any products available for you?
0: Well, you know what? It's an interesting point because you, very rarely does anybody talk about CPIH, as in the measure that includes yeah. the cost of housing and shelter. Whereas, really, we should concentrate quite a lot on CPIH, and, and we don't—we don't really tend to, especially um, with the homeowners ones yeah well indeed but i don't think the the bond markets necessarily concentrate too much on those numbers either so i think if you're going to take a piece of the pie right where does that money go well i'll tell you where it's going to go over the next few years if the tax brackets stay the same as they are it's going to go in tax and tax remember is quite disinflationary and you know if i was in the treasury some of the more creative things i'd be suggesting in discussions at the moment would be around selective rates of vat on certain goods but they probably wouldn't sit that well inside a conservative government framework. Um, there'd be things that I'd be looking at. They might do at the moment because they might help them win the next election. But you know, tax is the fiscal tool that really needs to be used effectively. Whereas instead, they're kind of using it in this unspoken carbon monoxide kind of way, where we all get whacked for more because the the, the thresholds don't go up till 2028. 20, By the time 50 grand they won't buy a mini metro or whatever the equivalent will be at the time you know um sneaky stuff but probably needs to be quicker in order to put the fire out quicker
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's a difficult one isn't it well adam yeah. prime minister there you heard it here first you're adam. doing PM, mate
0: i'll do the i'll do the treasury I'm not, You, know, you can do PM. <laughs> benevolent dictator turner would do an excellent job i can tell
1: <laughs> you that do what i say it's for your own good um <laughs> Okay, Adam, thanks so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and I'm sure we'll have to get you back again soon.
0: Always a pleasure, Rob. Looking forward to the next time already. Thanks a lot. Cheers.